What up? What's going on, man? What do you do for Valentine's Day? I uh, got some rose petals from Whole Foods, and I kind of spread them out on the floor of my bathroom. And then I, I've got like a, you know, I moved apartments a couple months ago. And yeah. My new one's got like a big jacuzzi tub. So I put them mm-hmm. in, fill up a tub with like, you know, some bubble baths and bath bombs, put some rose petals in there and mm-hmm. just watched the movie in the tub with Sarah. And we went out for a nice steak dinner before that. So it was real chill. What about you? boring. Mark, <laughs> what's going hey, on? Both of you. Hey, what's up, Mark? What did you, what did you do for Valentine's Day, Mark? You, you just remind me there's a Valentine's Day. <laughs> well that's it that's the answer is it like an american holiday that's a good i know question. there's a lot of holidays that i just assume are worldwide because i'm american and it turns out like nobody else even knows what this is no like, i think friends friends of mine do it it's just uh i've been married for five years and every day is pretty much the same we work from home there's no saturday <laughs> there's no sunday so it, it feels like we're leaving the same day over and over which it's a beautiful day but we forget about things like valentine's well, listen, man, if uh, being married for five years means that I get to not have to do these these like forced holidays, maybe I'll be proposing tonight. <laughs> anyway, Mark, we should introduce you to the audience. You are uh, Mark Luvian. Sounds like the name of someone I'd have on the show. And my mom would be like, oh, you're interviewing Mark Luvian. <laughs> I think it sounds fancier in English. In French, it's just Luvian. Oh, that was way fancier. I know. That was like, whoa, that was <laughs> blew my mind a little bit. In February of last year, you tweeted that you had 200 followers uh, you're you're burning through your savings, and you had three startups, which is like admittedly a lot of startups. Uh, today, a year later, you have thirteen startups. You have fourteen thousand followers on Twitter, and I think you just got to ramen profitable. So you have sort of reached the first big milestone as an indie hacker, where you can completely survive and pay for all your bills and eat as much ramen as you possibly can dream of. Uh, and you don't have to do that on anybody else's dime. Like, it's it's all you. You've made it. Yeah, somehow. I mean, this is pretty new to cross the ramen profitability. So this is a, it's, it's a, good, uh, it's a good achievement. It feels uh, less stress. Uh, the, whole, the whole story I've, I was building in the dark for a couple of years before. So it, it's a bit less successful if you put it that way. I think I've been in and out for about six years. And I only started taking it seriously and doing it in public about a year ago, as you said. Well, I think what I find impressive about it is like something changed, right? Like, and I don't know if it was the building in public or not, but like going from three projects to 13 is like, that's 10 stars in 12 months. That's huge. And it seems like you're having fun doing it. Like I read your tweets, like you're, you're basically a comedian and all your tweets. Uh, I look at your products. They're all really well designed. Like these aren't like shabby products. Like you're putting your heart and soul into them. You're adding cool little graphics of like, you know, uh, cool flowers and your photo of your head kind of spinning around as a logo on some of them. Like half of your products just make me laugh out loud when I see them. And they're working. They're actually making money. I guess the process you're going through, like most people are super stressed. You know, they're like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to be broken out of money tomorrow. What am I going to do? They have trouble launching. But you're just like cruising, making money and having fun on the way while you do yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, I think I've, I've taken things very seriously at the beginning. Um, I started building startup thinking I was the next Mark Zuckerberg. And um, I've been doing this for years. And the downsides when, you know, the startup crash and things like that, it was really terrible. And so earlier, like last year, and thanks to you guys, the indie hiking journey, uh, the building employee community, I started taking things way more simply and just be like, okay, I'm just a guy in my bedroom doing what I like. I build stuff. And, and that really changed my, my mindset and how I handle downsides. And I started building startups real quickly, like, like trying to imitate what Peter Lovells do. And I loved it. And I could see on my Twitter that it's, it's working well. Um, when I do things without too much emotions, when I do it quickly, um, it's inspiring for some people and it's working for me. So, so it's a better journey now. That's the thing specifically so that smart. I'm most impressed about is... Like, number one, it's just the quantity and the quality of your output. Cortland mentioned the quality, but it's like, what is it? I think you've got 11 products in the last, whatever, 13 or 14 months. And the only way to do that is if you have like an immense amount of discipline to like keep projects small and then move on. Like, I can't tell you how many, I mean, probably, probably every single month, 
we have a trending post on Indie Hackers that's like, you know, the next person who's going to do 12 products in 12 months. And those things always fizzle out. And it's either usually because people just don't ultimately get started. They fail to start 12 times or they fail to like get to the finish line 12 times. And very, very few people do both consistently over the period of time that you've done it. And it's like, I think that that's the biggest challenge. Like people just have to spend a week doing design and they have to spend a week talking to people and they have to spend a week coding. Right. But you just like have been, you know, sort of zipping through that whole cycle consistently for a while. I think that's why I don't set much goals and I didn't tell myself I'm going to build 12 startups in 12 months because when I feel like when you do that, you tell your mind that you're going to have all that. So you get excited, you have the dopamine rush and you're super into it and you're super productive for a week or two. But then after it feels like it fades out because you know you cannot build 12 startups in 12 hours. So you, you don't get the things you told your brain you're going to get into a short period of time. And so I just don't set goals. I'm like, I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to be at my desk at 7 a.m. every single day. Yeah, I have a friend who does this. Who like Every time he's going to start something new, he tells everybody like not only what he's going to do, but like exactly how much money it's going to make and how successful. He, like, he creates this vision of like the end goal and everyone's like bought into this like end result and how amazing it is and how successful he's going to be. And then like he probably goes home after that and it's like well now he doesn't have any of those actual achievements yet he just has all this hard work in front of him and everybody's kind of already celebrated the achievements so it's like there's no upside to that it's like now it's just now it's just screwed yeah i feel like expectations are a kind of internal fight we have to manage in order to keep going agreed there's something smart too in the approach you said like you're basically not taking it seriously which is the same thing that peter levels does like he told me once that he intentionally on twitter tries to look dumber and like less sophisticated than he actually is like he tries to look like he doesn't know what he's doing number one because it's inspiring to other people it's like oh like this idiot can do it i can do it right but like he actually is not an idiot he's a super smart guy but also for himself like for the same reason that you're doing it like if you don't put things on a pedestal if you don't have these high expectations and you can't feel crushed at the end when it doesn't work out yeah totally i feel like this journey is actually a, just an internal fight with yourself i was, I was gonna say Courtney, i feel like we haven't put out the amount of products for indie hackers nearly that you have, Mark, in like, you know, your last year, probably last three years, we haven't put that many products out. But we have created features and like been on the grind with a lot of the elements of indie hackers. And a huge amount of that longevity is being much more input focused, right? Like figuring out what we like to do so that we have like the energy to keep doing it over and over again. And we don't have like you know, some two-year goal where if we don't hit it in two years, we're going to feel hugely deflated. To your point, Channing, like, I think if we did any hackers the way that Peter Levels does his business, because Peter Levels has a nomad list. It's this giant hub for digital nomads. Andy Hackers is a hub for Andy Hackers. But when he does, like, a feature, he doesn't say, like, hey, this is the nomad list job board. He packages it up like it's a completely different product. He gives it its own domain name. And he's like, oh, this is remote okay. It's like a remote job board, right? But we just have, like, the Andy Hackers job board. So everything we have feels like it's a tiny feature that's part of this bigger project versus everything feeling like this like small, new, you know, 12 startups in 12 months type thing. And I think that other way is like much better because Mark, like what you're doing, like when you actually launch everything as its own product from beginning to end, its own domain name, its own thing, like you can build in public and you can like get excited about every single thing that launches way more than you can about like an incremental improvement to a feature of a bigger product. So one of the things I want to do for indie hackers is uh, we've got these profile pages. Every indie hacker on the website has a user profile. And if you go there, you can see, like if I go to indiehackers.com slash like Mark Lou, I can see your profile. And I can see that it's like essentially, here's all the posts you've made. Here's all the comments you've made. On the right, here's all the products you've made. And it's kind of like a social media profile. Like I want indie hackers to have kind of a link tree thing. And Mark, you have this for yourself and it's awesome. I kind of want to just steal it. So if you go to like Mark Lou, M-A-R-C-L-O-U.com, you've got like your Andy Hacker Linktree page where it's a photo of your face <laughs> making a hilarious expression. It says you're an Andy Hacker, you're 29 years old, you're one and a half thousand dollars a month in revenue, living in Bali, and your tagline says, I was fired everywhere, so I've decided to always <laughs> work for myself. Even Ty Lopez fired me. I love smiling and people who smile, I pursue freedom. And under that, you've got a section where you can see 11 of your startups, you can see, you know, one was acquired, one is new, one of them you're building, three of them are making revenue. I love this page. It's like Mark as an indie hacker 
at a glance. So I guess I just want to ask you, like, can I steal this concept from the IndieHackers.com website and make other people's profiles look kind of like yours? It's even got like the dark color theme. Like Indie Hackers has like that dark blue. It's kind of distinctive. Yeah, it's is purple. You don't see it a lot, but like, yeah, yours is like dark purple. It's like, it'd be very easy for us to lift. <laughs> I think it's a um, Daisy UI theme. It's a library for Tailwind. It's a pretty good one. I use it for all my projects. The nice. theme is Dr Dracula, I think. Nice. Yeah, it looks really good. And you got 11 startups on here. So I want to talk about some of these, like, because a lot of them are kind of related to, to some of the stuff I've got going on in real life. Um, Shannon, you want to talk about one? Which one Which one stands out to you the most? Um, I'm really into habits, so I'm just going to start at the top because it looks like one of, your, two one of your big apps. ones. Yeah, you've got two, but it seems like the one that's making the most money. So you've got Habits Garden. It's making $767 a month. You've got some details about it, them being sold. But then what's the other one? Gamify List? Visualize Habit. It's Visualize. Oh, that's right. So Habit Garden is making $767 a month. It says beat procrastination with a gamified habit tracker. And it says you've got 6,000 plus users on that one. Tell me the story about, about Habits Garden. How did you start this, Mark? Uh, it was about a year ago. I uh, I wanted to make a habit tracker with the GitHub contribution board, the one that you have like a square per uh, contribution you make. And you see the whole year with a list of those squares. Yeah. So I, I just made this one and I added confetis and I shared it on Twitter and I got good feedback. People said they loved it. And the fact that they were having fun taking their habits make them more um, consistent. And I have no idea why, but I was like, oh, how about, you know, I, I turn it into a complete game, something where people don't need notifications, but instead they got inner motivation from doing mm -hmm. a game instead of feeling that they have to do their workout, just things like that. And so I added quests, I added achievements, um, and I added a whole thing called the garden where you can plant flowers with uh, the gems you earn from the quest. And then you unlock flowers as you go through your progress in your habits. And normally after a month, if you're consistent, you would have unlocked most flowers, you would have a beautiful garden and you can play with your friends. You have a little board where you can see who was the most consistent person of the week. And it's pretty much the story. And I keep iterating on that product. I think it's the one I focus, I spend most of my time on. And, um, and I build side projects like visualize habits that are on purpose of, you know, like what Peter Levels does is like, it's a, it's a small version of habits garden that aims to promote it. Oh, it's like a spinoff kind of like marketing version of the app. Yep. Yep. Okay. So wait, hold on. That's fascinating to me. How does that actually work? You've got habits garden. That's the main app. It's a habit tracker. You complete your habits, you get this cool little visual garden, and then you've got visualize habit, which is like the marketing pared down. Like how does how does that marketing version work? So I think it was December last year. Um, New Year resolution is a big thing. And I thought, how can I combine New Year resolutions and habits? And same as we said before, that goal setting can be um, motivating to start. So I was like, how does a mini habit that I do five minutes a day will uh, translate if I do it over a year? I thought I thought about the main habits, which is like um, exercising, reading books, meditation. How does that look like over a year? And now, so if, if you go there and you set up your uh, workout habits and you tell you're going to work out like 15 minutes a day, it will tell you how many hours of workout you're going to do in a year. And it's going to show you a fun oh, data about things like, you know, you're going to burn like this amount of calories, this, which is the equivalent of like 120 Big Macs. It's like a calculator, basically, for all these different habits. Yeah, totally. And at the end, if you want to start those habits, I'm, I'm making a plug to Habits Garden and you can import it, import them directly into the tracker. Sweet. So I'm on here right now. Like I want to write, I want to write for, let's say like 45 minutes a day. So I click write. There's a whole like grid of different habits. You choose which one. It could be code, write, drink water, learn an instrument, read more. So I say 45 minutes a day. I'm going to do it four times a week, five times a week. And then I click add habit. And then it just, sort of automatically calculates basically how much that's going to be if I reach my goal. And then I can import that into Habits Garden. Okay, this is, man, this is genius. So you can like launch this as its own like individual product and try to get a bunch of traffic to this. And any traffic that goes to this automatically feeds into your main app. And you can kind of clearly see that the uh, flow, like the funnel of that because Visualize Habit, does, you don't have to log in like there's minimal friction to like yeah. just getting in there, like investing, like here's my habits. Like, you know, I, I want to have like, I, I'm just looking at the grid. It's like code, meditate, cold shower. Like these are all things that I personally like. And then it's like, okay, well, if you want to 
really track these habits and kind of play a game with them, then you take the like higher friction step of joining a habits garden. You're like your big one. Yeah, I think the conversion rate for this one is the best I've had so far because it's pretty seamless and it, about 30% of people who visit the site will build their habits grade and and go on habitsgarden.com. Wow, that's huge, man. Does this gamification stuff work? Like I've used a bunch of to-do list apps. Uh, I think I used Habitica once, which is kind of uh, another one. Like years, I can barely even remember using it. I think I tried it. But with Habits Garden, like the way it works is like I'm actually, it's like I'm playing Farmville or something. Like when I'm doing my to-do list, like I get this really cool looking garden. Does that actually motivate people to be more productive? Yeah, it, it's really hard to get people to understand the game and understand that it's a, it's a gamified habit checker. But when they do and they take it seriously, then they become crazy about it. And I have a couple of users, like maybe 30 users, who have been showing up for about a year. Mm. And every single day you see them in the leaderboard, you see them completing their habits. <laughs> it's like a tale of two brothers. Because, Corlin, we sometimes get this like history mixed, but like I swear I introduced you to Habitica, and it probably was like five years ago, I don't know. But like Habitica, Mark, if you're familiar with that, that's like this other habit tracking app. It's like an RPG, you like have a character and... Cortland said he stopped using that game. Like I use Habitica every single day and I pretty much haven't missed, I don't know, a day in like, like four years. And not only do I use Habitica, but I also use, there's another indie hacker who has this app called Everyday. It's kind of similar. It's like yours, it has a, like a grid for your different habits, but it like doesn't have any real game element. It's just kind of simple. Like I'm a sucker for these things. And it's like what you said, you have like, you know, a small number of users or a few, a few users who are like super devoted. And yeah. it's like the way that my brain works compared to the way that, for example, Cortland's brain works, like I'm already sucked in. I'm already like, I wonder if I can like do half of my habits on Habitica and then like move the other half to like Habits Garden and like, you know, if that'll be too much overhead for me. Yeah, Habitica is actually one of the reasons I created Habits Garden because um, I, I tried it and it's lovely. Like the concept is is amazing. I just feel like there's a bit of overhead when you get on the app. There's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And that made me keep the concept of having the game, but just make it in a way that is a bit simpler where you don't have to think too much when you log in into the app. But keeping the mechanics of having random loots in quests and unlocking achievements, um, I love those. I try to incorporate some of them into a habits garden. You know what would make me use something like this? Because I use exactly zero productivity apps. Uh, I'm big on social accountability. Like if I get like a little garden or a little character or whatever and nobody sees it, like I just don't, I don't care. I'm like, oh, this is just pixels on a screen. But if I had like, like if my Twitter background, for example, was my habit garden garden. And so like when I'm doing tasks, like everybody who follows me on Twitter can see like my Twitter background is like full of all these lush plants. Um, you know, or if I'm like being lazy, it's just like this dead barren wheat field. Like I think I would do it like that would like I would show that off to people and I would care a lot. You know, kind of like the same way on GitHub. Like you see those, like that graph and everybody likes to like share like how many dots they have in a row. Like something about the social accountability for me is, is big. Or if I had it like in my apartment, like right now the walls of my apartment are mostly kind of empty and I want to put like art or something on the wall that's kind of like a conversation piece. And if I had like a little screen, it wouldn't have to be that big, just like a small screen that like showed my habit garden and people came over like, oh, what is that? And I'd be like, oh, that's how productive I was last week. Like that would get me actually caring about the gamification elements. Channing, I don't think you need that kind of stuff, but I need other people to see it. Well, Habitica does have, like, I'm in a party this morning, like, it's like, whatever, seven random other people who have Habitica. And, you know, we have our characters with little health bars. And if you mess up and you don't do your habits, then every single person on the team, like their little health bar gets knocked down. So not only do you feel like, oh, hey, I, I want to keep the streak up, but like, I don't know, a week ago, I didn't meditate and this woman, Sarah, was like, yo, Channing, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I, like, I feel, I mean, you know, I've never met her before. She doesn't keep up with her stuff either, but like kind of know, I mean, that, that's literally the reason why I still have. Wait, who, the two, who is she and why is she in your group? If you've just never a random her? person, right? There are just uh, thousands of people that use Habitica. Wow. And you can just say, okay. you can, if they have their own little form, hey, uh, Mark, not, not trying to shit on your app and saying that something else is better, <laughs> but like, if you have a social app, you get people like me where, I completely agree. I don't like Habitica because it's too complicated. So I, that's the reason why I got a second app that's like simple and it's just checking things off. But like something about the fact that there are people who are like, 
yo, why didn't you like work on indie hackers and like knock out that objective? Yeah, it's enough to keep me there just for that element of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think the social accountability part is missing in Habits Garden. But um, I heard you, Cortland, and uh, I'm going to build a product and I'm going to reach out. <laughs> okay. If you make a picture frame by Habit Garden or you, you make a Twitter background, I, I prom- right now on the air, I promise I will set my background to that. Or I will buy your picture frame. How did you, um, how do you charge for this? Like, what's the business model? You're making almost 800 bucks a month. Are these people just paying a subscription fee? Yep, it's a paid app, seven days of free trial, and then it's, I think, nine a month or 90 a year. And how did you get like the initial set of users for it? Did you just launch it on Product Hunt? Uh, I know you also build on public too and Twitter. Is that helping out at all? 100%. But at the time I built the app, I had no following on Twitter. It was about a year ago. Right. And I got so lucky, I shared on, I think, Hacker News. Uh, and um, it went it went viral um, for some reason. And I got about 10,000 visitors on the site in a, in a day. And that's how I got the first paid users. And I think if these didn't happen, I would probably have moved on to another app. Every time somebody tells me they launched on Hacker News, the first thing I do is <laughs> pull up Hacker News and look at the comments because those comments are always <laughs> so sweet. Let's see. Seems like you got some nice comments. The first one said, uh, be honest, OP, you were making this actually just to procrastinate on whatever it is you actually had to be doing at the time, <laughs> didn't you? Nah, just kidding. It's like a wonderful site. Uh, your second one... It says, the good. I really appreciate that the free trial doesn't require a credit card. It just freezes the features. That's a very Hacker News comment. They would hate you if you required a credit card. The bad, they said, I think there's a bit of a bootstrapping problem here. You want me to set up a system to make me do more stuff? I'll get started on that later. Which I think is actually a real real problem, right? Like for a lot of productivity apps, like to get to that aha moment, you have to do a lot of work. You got to like start like thinking about, okay, what are my tasks? What are my habits? Like, the very first thing you ask people to do when they log in is work. Yeah, it, it's actually my struggle of the day, um, of, of the days. Like it's I'm spending most of my time on this. 90% of people who sign up will never show up after 24 hours. And so that's pretty bad because that, that means like in order to get to ramen profitability, I would need like just so much users. And, and I'm reworking on that part because on the end funnel, when people use the game for seven days for free, then I think 80% of them become paid customers. So I have a, the, the funnel is pretty good at the end, but at the beginning it's pretty terrible. And and getting to that aha moment is, as you said, is really hard. What was that percentage? You said 80% become paid customers? Yeah. Wow. If, that's... if they play the game consistently for like five or six days. Wow. So you get people to, to like a week of playing and they're like, they're in the back, you're set. They're going to they're gonna start paying you. Yep. I saw you tweeting about some of this stuff on Twitter. You did like a uh, usability test call thing. So I have a friend who's, who's working on a mobile app. Uh, he's in a similar situation where his app is pretty good. People are coming in the top of the funnel. They're running ads. People are like downloading the app and using it. And then they're also not coming back. And he's been trying to like talk to them to find out why they're not coming back. But none of them, none of them want to hop on a call. Like no, no one's responding to emails. No <laughs> one's like, it's just radio silence. You did the opposite. Like you asked people to basically hop on a call with you and at least 30 people said yes how did you get those people to say yes and and what happened during those calls uh so i did that on twitter i shared um i shared the link and i asked non-users to hopefully jump on a call with me and basically for 10 minutes they would go over the app and share their screen and just go over the basic sign up process and the onboarding on the app and see what's happening and then I realized that the data I used to see in the database, which is that 90% of people never show up after 24 hours, it started to make sense because 90% of the calls I had did not understand the app. Like they would have fun when they sign up because uh, it doesn't require any email. And then the app becomes um, cluttered with features and stuff and they, they just mm. don't get it. And then they, they're like, are we done with the call? And that was that was a pretty big realization for me to, to see that, yeah. The classic way to solve this problem as a startup is the coffee shop test, where you literally walk into a random coffee shop with your laptop. You go up to somebody who's in line or something and say, hey, I'll buy you a coffee if you use my app for like you know a minute or two. I'll just peek over your shoulder. And then you just like watch somebody try to figure out your app and like see what that onboarding experience is like. And even if you like spend months designing your app, it's usually so painful the first few times yeah. you watch somebody try to do it. Uh, with you, Cortland, it's like uh, you spend those days building the app, and then you see someone who is trained to click on the wrong buttons, and, and all it's, it's very painful. 
a huge question that I have about that is like, there are so many different potential customers that you could have. And of those potential customers, I don't know if you have people like me, I carry with me all of the like background knowledge of exactly how to use your app that you need to where I don't really need like much of an onboarding. Whereas if you get some, and like really, I mean, in this case, it's like, I'm someone who already tracks habits, right? I think of my habits as like my luggage and it's like, all I need is a new suitcase to put it in. And if you have like a new cool suitcase and I just like, am an easy customer to onboard or whatever. Right. Whereas if you're taking anyone else, like say Cortland, I don't know if Cortland tracks any habits. Like even if he gets your app, the investment that he'll have to make to like, I don't know, like figure out the, the features of your app and then like come to a decision about what kinds of habits he wants to start tracking, like start tracking the first one, the next one like is it is night and day and i just like i don't know about in your situation but i'm like man if there's some way where you can find like nothing but uh, potential customers who have read james clear's atomic habits right anyone who finished it gets to the end of that book for example like they probably end that book with like seven different habits that they want to start on tomorrow right i feel like you should just be stealing users from other habit trackers as opposed to trying to like find net new ones even though obviously it's like kind of hard to get someone to stop using what they're already familiar with I think, yeah, this is a smart move. Yeah, probably, I think I should uh, double down on targeting people who are using Abitica but are not satisfied because it's too complicated, as you said. Yeah, yeah, there's something to be said for uh, getting the right people in the top of the funnel. But Channing, you're just one of the 10%, man. Like, you're just one of the people. If you hopped on a call with Mark, you would just know everything. But, like, did you did you fix this, Mark? Was it, like, obviously you talk to these people, you see that, like, 90% of them, you know, they're just filling up the user interface with all sorts of stuff that they don't understand. I'm curious to see how that turns out because that's like your your highest grossing app uh, on your page. You've got what virally bought, which is yep. something based on escape rooms, and then I think game widget is your other one. Is that right? Yep. So I've got an escape room. I actually own an escape room, kind of, kind of, sorta. I'm trying to. It's like a really janky escape room. So I opened an Airbnb with my girlfriend last October, and one of the cool creative things that we're doing inside of it, besides the like aesthetic design is we put a scavenger hunt inside of it, which we have since rebranded into Escape Room, which has instantly increased like interest in it because, I don't know, you just put those two words together and people just want to do an escape room way more than they want to do a scavenger hunt. But essentially, like that's kind of one of the selling points for Airbnb. Like You get there, there's instructions in the welcome guide, and we've got all these clues hidden all over, we solve all these different puzzles, and then people at the end of it are giving us like these awesome reviews because they go through our escape room. But the problem is... like. We haven't figured out how to market this yet. Like, generally, like our guests are discovering it once they book, and you know maybe they're telling their friends. But like, really, like the word is not getting out about it as like an independent escape room business, which would be dope because then people who wanted to do escape rooms in Seattle, who are like escape room enthusiasts, would like find our Airbnb and maybe even book a night just to do the escape room. So both of your apps, like Game Widget and Virally Bot, are two products that you built that basically try to help with this problem. Like, I need arguably both of these things. Because both of them have the same sort of value proposition on their websites. Uh, ViralyBot, for example, says, grow your escape room with gamification marketing. And GameWidget says, turn traffic into customers. GameWidget engages your visitors with the fun game to grow your escape room business automatically. So give me the rundown on these. Like, how do I, how do I use these things? So ViralyBot is uh, one of my first startups started in 2018. Uh, I built it when I moved to Bali. And I sold the product before, um, before I even had it. And the idea is to help so escape room businesses to get more conversions by offering a free online mini game. So it's, it connects with their Facebook page and it allows anyone to play a mini escape game on Facebook Messenger with a chatbot. So you would have this, um, uh, this automated answers that challenge you to do riddles, to solve puzzles, and you will get points for this. And when you reach a certain number of points, you'll get a discount coupon for the escape room business. And so escape room businesses, they use it and share it with their audience, um, have a fun tool to engage with them. And then the bot, the chatbot, will do the work to convert them into paying customers. The, the issue with that product is that it requires the business to work with. So if you just put it on your Facebook Messenger page and you don't do anything, then nothing will actually happen because you need to share it with your audience. And so based on that friction, I created Game Widget, which is, is it's a similar concept. It's using a game to get people to book something with you. 
But instead of uh, you having to, to share it to the audience, it sits on your website. It's a little script that adds onto your website and then it embeds a game on your website. So as a visitor, you can just play the game right away. And at the end, if you escape the game, you same get a discount coupon for the business and you can use it and redeem it right away on the website. And uh, I stopped working on Virally Bots a couple of years ago, but it's still bringing some money because I had customers and Game Widget was acquired last month. Nice. Amazing. Congratulations. It was again, kind of the same pattern of like, you got the main business and then in order to like make the main business like easier to find or more accessible, you made like kind of a spinoff side project of it. But in this situation, like the spinoff side project was like more successful <laughs> and you sold that. I think I spent more time on Virally Bots and I got almost $100,000 of revenue for it over the last four years. Wow. And I, I made Game Widget yeah. real quickly back in France um, for a few months. And I, I did not try to grow the startup because it didn't feel right for me. Like I started to lose interest for the B2B. Mm -hmm. I feel like disconnected from the buyers. And I just, I, I sold a few and it was making about $100 a month and quit real quickly after that. And I, I sold it. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure Game Widget would have been, would have been able to go farther than Virally Bot. Who did you, uh, who'd you sell it to? Who bought it for 4,300 bucks? Uh, micro, a, a buyer and micro acquire, which I think are acquire now. What was that like? Was it, was it easy? I've never actually sold a startup on, on micro acquire. Yeah, it was easy. It was a bit daunting at first because you have, uh, especially me, I'm French and I have uh, all the legal stuff to read and oh, <laughs> I yeah. barely understand half of the words. But no, it was seamless. Um, the transaction was made through escrow, so I was pretty sure I would get the money somehow. Um, <laughs> I, I want to use Game Widget actually because I've never, I feel like I'm the only person at this point who's never done an escape room. So like maybe, maybe having this like digital version will help. And I'm also a little bit traumatized. So I don't know, maybe five years ago I had this girlfriend and we were thinking about what to do for a date and I, and I mentioned escape room. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm looking on Yelp.com or something. And I was like, oh, what about it? What about an escape room? And her eyes lit up and she's like, Channing, the best first date that I've ever been on in my entire life was an escape room. Like I went out, she like named the guy. I went out with, like with this guy, Mike, like we didn't personally have any chemistry, but like the escape room itself was so amazing. <laughs> it was like hands down my best first date. And I was like excited and I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, okay, well, we're, we're going to hit up this, uh, this escape room like this weekend. And she was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do it with you. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, especially now that I just told you like my best first date was an escape room. Like there's no way that it's going to live up to that. And then it's just going to be kind of awkward. Like you're going to ask me like how, how it compares. And she literally rejected, she rejected my Damn, dude. like request. And this is like, you know, two years into us being together. This isn't like a new girlfriend at the time. And honestly, like since then I'm like, screw escape rooms like i don't want to like I, it doesn't even I'm, I'm kind of ptsd about it so maybe i'll dip my toe into like a digital version with with game widget this guy messed up though you don't you don't go on an activity first date like i don't i don't think your first date should be something that's so stimulating that the girl has a great time even if she doesn't like you like he messed up so i think you i think you still got the better end of that deal but i would argue that escape rooms are a good way to see things you normally don't see with um a typical date mm. Oh, that is true. You can kind of assess, like, how does this person, you know, work in a group? How are they with communication? So it's like a, it's like a, almost like an interview date. It's like, I want to like to filter, <laughs> want to filter you out <laughs> based on whether or not Dude, we pass this. Natalie paper. and I had this conversation like a couple of days ago where uh, my girlfriend and I just booked a, a ticket, a flight to Switzerland. She's Swiss. And we always talk about us being sort of good travel partners and specifically the thing if you're dating someone especially if you're dating someone sort of like and it's new is when you have good times everyone is really capable of putting on a good face and like kind of being like their best self but you never know who the person is that you're dating or that even even like a friend uh you never know like someone's true colors until you have adversity together until you have like something like, you know, you're, you're barely, uh, on time for a flight. Like how does the other person react? Right? Like you have to choose whether it's going to be an Airbnb or a hotel and you like Airbnbs and they like hotels. Like what do they do? Right. You never know. Dude, like you need to know everything. Like my friends, we had a kind of like a group sleepover a couple nights ago 
and uh, a couple of my friends like maybe watch this reality show that they're super into called Love is Blind. They're like season three, episode like 15 or something. So like, I had never seen it. But the whole concept of the show is like these people date each other without ever even seeing each other. All they do is talk. And then they have to like propose marriage to the person's sight unseen that they like. And then they get to see the person. And it's like, oh, you know, it's cool. It's really about what's going on in your heart, you know, on one hand. But on the other hand, like half of these couples like now aren't physically attracted to each other. They don't like each other. Like they haven't lived together. So they don't know like what it's like to live together. They haven't gone through, as you like to your point, any adversity together. So they have no idea how they deal with stress. They have no idea how they communicate with the group. They have no idea how they fit in with their friends. There's like a whole giant checklist of things that like, you should probably like experience with a person before you decide to get married. And these people did like none of them. So Mark, I guess that's a point in your, <laughs> in your favor. Maybe we should be doing escape rooms on the first date. Yeah, that's it. You're basically testing your product on the market from day zero. <laughs> so what should I do to try to grow my escape room, which is like embedded within this Airbnb. So you can't even do it unless you book the Airbnb. Like how do people... You know, one of the one of the sort of lines on your website that I'm interested in, it says, go viral in your local community. How do I go viral in my local community with my escape room? I try to solve that by having people play on the Facebook Messenger chatbot with friends. So you could invite a friend and both of that you will solve those puzzles. And I try to find game mechanics in order to incentivize people to do it. Um, that's the idea behind the headline of go viral in your local community, because I, I hope mm. people would share with their friends. Which, which uh, some did. Have you seen any other escape rooms like doing a good job with their own marketing in like other creative ways? Because I'm just like trying to figure out how I could do this shit. Uh, no, I think they, they do the typical... Um, you know, at the end, you can take a picture with your friends and they offer, they redeem, they, they offer a discount if you, if you share those pictures on social media. Kind of like we did it. We escaped in XYZ minutes. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's like one of the only ways to go viral. So you're not putting us on like Google Maps. Like if you have a physical business, you can just be in the Google Maps search results. So if somebody searches for like escape room, like hopefully we would pop up. Whereas like most Airbnbs yeah. don't like have something like that. I don't even know. I, I had to just bust in. Like I don't even know how escape rooms work, but I, I've always had one question. Obviously, some people are better at puzzles than others. So what happens if you have a group and just nobody is smart enough to get out of a particular Dude, room? You don't are escape. you just stuck forever? Dude, I've done escape rooms with like friends from MIT where like everybody is smart and we didn't escape. Like well, it's not happened? just about being... <laughs> what do you mean like, you, you didn't escape? Like, <laughs> I mean, they we let you out escape. of the... Hey, I'm doing this podcast from that escape room right now. <laughs> <laughs> they let you out of the escape room. Uh, you just don't get to take that picture that says like we escaped. In fact, they'll give you props and they'll give you a little a picture frame that says like we failed. And you take like this picture of shame uh, that they put on their Instagram page showing uh, the names and faces. That of is so amazing. They, they publicly shame you in some places. That's sick. Some of them have walkie talkies and you can ask the game master to give you a clue and you have like a limited set of clues you can ask. But yeah, you don't have to pass every single one of them. You might just fail. But I like that idea. I like both of these business ideas. I like the fact that you sold uh, game widget. Why weren't you interested in, in working on it anymore? I mean... It seems like a pretty simple business. Like you build this widget, it kind of works. You're kind of doing sales to get it to like these these businesses, and you already have like a lot of experience there. Like, why did you lose the passion of selling to businesses? That's a good question. I'm still thinking about it. I think it goes to it's because of the fact it's B two B. I didn't feel close to businesses. I I don't I didn't care if they make more money or less. Like I didn't have any passion for this. And I was not really aware of it, but I think it translated in me being lazy and not wanting to work on it. And um, it's it's a big shift because when I when I closed those two products, I started to build uh, in public. I started to indie mm -hmm. hack, and most of the startups you'll see that I'm shipping today are related to the people, the B two C startups. And um, I don't know. It, feel, it just feels more real, more um, pleasurable. I feel excited to work on because I can share the app to my friends it just spins up it spins up the motivation dude what's your like how are you so prolific i mentioned it before a lot of people talk about 12 startups in 12 months this is kind of one of the characteristic features of being an indie hacker is kind of building these small things but like i don't know when push comes to shove most people don't actually still have it in them to just like keep going but like what would you say is the secret of this for you so I have no expectations at all. Like I ship something, 
and I'm very pessimistic. I'm, I'm thinking it's not going to work. So I don't have the rush, the ups and downs. Also, I make it very short. Um, I try to never spend more than a week or two on a startup. So if it fails, which is the case 90% of the time, I don't feel emotional. I don't have any downside. I don't have to wait until I build another product. And I see all those startups as a collection. You know, when you play Pokemon cards, maybe as a kid, you play that. You collection mm -hmm. them. You have the rare card. You have this card. I see all my startup as a collection of things that I've built. And I feel like every new startups I build is adding to that collection. And it tells a story about my life at this point. And so I feel like if it's a failure, it doesn't matter because it's still I'm growing a little collection of memories. I love that framing. Actually, you tweeted something about like um, about your habit tracker. You're like, oh, I own a habit tracking app that has 6,000 users. And it's like, I don't see very many people talk about their ND hacking projects that way. Like people with like old school brick and mortar businesses will talk about it like that. They'll say, oh, I own a farm and I own a restaurant and I own a hotel. But like as an ND hacker, if you've got like six products, like you can say, yeah, I own I own this thing, you know, that's got this many users and I own this other thing that's got whatever. And it's like a you're right. It's like a it's like a deck of Pokemon cards, or it's like a like a portfolio of businesses that are yours. And I think viewing it like that is kind of inspirational and a lot more fun. I think one of the cool things too that you do, besides just um, being prolific, is like you tweet about it, right? Like half the stuff I know about you is, comes from your Twitter account, which you've grown to fourteen thousand followers in just a year. And this is another thing I think a lot of people struggle with. Like I struggle with it. I don't even like tweeting. I stopped tweeting months ago, and I like hopefully I'll pick it back up again this year. But what's your, what's your Twitter strategy? How are you growing so much? How are you building in public? You said you're emulating Peter Levels. Like what parts of how he's tweeting and how he's building in public are you emulating that are actually working for you? Because the fact that you've grown your account, like, I don't know, like some crazy percentage in a year means that whatever you're doing is working. Yes, it took me a long time to cross 1,000 followers. At the time, I had strategies, I had plans. I was rethinking about my bio on Twitter. And then something kind of happened about six, seven months ago. And I was like, fuck, it's, it doesn't feel right. And then I stopped thinking. I started to share really transparently what I was doing. I started to see myself as uh, just a guy who, instead of building Legos, I built startups. And I have a collection of startups. And I stopped tweaking my bio. I stopped testing my tweets. Um, I stopped thinking about when to tweet or things like that. And I just go with the flow and and basically I, I it sounds a bit weird but i started to think less and just be more me when i look at your stuff yeah sure on twitter but also you know you have a lot of posts on indie hackers like almost any of your posts that i see a you're hilarious like you're really funny you had a, a post that went sort of viral on indie hackers where it's just a video of you superimposed and Joe Rogan studio. And like you made a video where it's like you cut together things that he had said on his podcast and it sort of seemed like you were getting interviewed by Joe Rogan. It was hilarious. It went viral on our, on our site and you're funny, but it also looks like the things that you're doing, like you're having a blast about it as well. And I'm all, whenever I see that, whenever I see someone who looks like they're having a, a really good time, I go, are you just like a really good actor? Or are you genuinely like enjoying, <laughs> you know, being on the treadmill on Twitter, et cetera? Because if you found a way to actually have fun, like that's the fucking hack. Like that's exact. like then everything else is on autopilot, just like you, what you said. Like you don't have to do so much thinking because like you're doing the thing you already want to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. That, that video, that day, man, I had such a good day. Yet I woke up and I had no idea what I'm going to do. And I'm like, oh, I got to make a, a video for the product hunt launch for that product for Visualize Habit. And then, I don't know, some things going on in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a video with Joe Rogan. And then the whole day was just a bliss. Like, you could ask my wife. She was next to me, and, and she could hear me laughing in the room. She could see me, like, walking to get the micro microphone here, running back to the room. It's, just, it's, it's hard to, to get those moments, but when they come, oh, man, it's just so good. My buddy Sean talks about having, like, the perfect Tuesday. For him, it's, like, the ultimate goal of, like, being an entrepreneur, being a founder. It's just, like... Figuring out how to structure your life, you know, get the money you need, the business you need, the lifestyle you need to just have like the perfect Tuesday every Tuesday and every Wednesday and every Thursday, just like the mundane days of your life. But I think that exists for your work life too. Like a lot of us talk about like, oh, I want to work so I can have the perfect like, you know, home life or personal life. But like, I want my work life to be per like perfect. And for me, a big part of it, I think is kind of what you said of like 
waking up in the morning and not knowing what I'm going to do today and then just doing whatever sounds fun. In your case, maybe that's making like a video with Joe Rogan. But for me, it's like, I don't like having a bunch of shit scheduled out. I don't like having a huge plan for the next nine months of everything I'm going to code and build and I have to do this before I can do that. Like, I kind of like just playing around. So Channing, I think we should run any hackers more like that. Like, I know I would enjoy it more if every single day we just wake up and figure out, like, what are we doing today? Or at the very least, like, what are we doing, like, you know, this week? It's funny. I think we come at it from two different sides. I love the idea of crafting. There's this guy, Andrew Huberman. He calls it the unit of the day. So it's like you just think about what your perfect day is like and then you build up from there. And for me, there is some planning involved in that. Like, I think you can do it either way. You can do it where you're like, the perfect day for me is I wake up and like, there's no Google calendar. Like there's no, there's no like habit tracker, right? There's none, none of that stuff for me. Like I just have a bunch of projects that I love. I love hanging out with my girlfriend and like, I love doing this podcast. Like this to me, doesn't necessarily feel like work, but I guess if you see it that way, like maybe there's like a clash of whether you do planning or you don't do planning. I don't know. I think a lot of the planning comes from having like a, like a multi-step process. If you're like, hey, I've got to, you know, launch my product. And once I launch, I can like get the conversion data. And then once I do that, I can like improve, you know, the onboarding funnel. And once I do that, I can build new features. And you have this whole giant process of steps you have to go through. Then you kind of just like booked out the next like six months of your life. And you don't have that much leeway to do other things because anytime you like take a detour from that path, at least for me, it's going to be a little voice in the back of my mind that's like, oh, I'm fucking up. Like, I'm not doing what I should be doing, and now it's going to take longer. And every time I'm on a track like that, I'm just I'm less happy. Like, if I'm coding anything for longer than a few months, like, I'm not that happy. I'm always the happiest when I'm doing really small products, really small launches, really small features, and I go from, like, idea to design to launching it and releasing it in under a week. Because then I just feel free. I feel unburdened and, like, to Mark's point, like failure isn't as bad. If it doesn't work out, like I don't feel like I just like wasted three months or a year of my life. I feel like oh, I had a week long experiment. And it was fine. Yeah. Cortland, have you ever read uh, that book, Finite and Infinite Games? It's no, like a kind of fun philosophy book. This guy in there like expresses almost exactly what you're talking about. And it's really, I don't know, it's a little bit academic for a lot of people's taste. But the whole point that he goes into is he uses this term living horizontally. And so you kind of visualize the horizon, like you go and you get to the horizon. And then by definition, when you get there, the horizon moves back. And so if you think about projects, you can say like, look, what I want to do is I don't want to have a plan that like, you know, presupposes like, you know, it's like five years out way beyond the horizon. Like this thing is going to happen a step A, then step B, then step C. Like, I just want to get to the horizon. I know the immediate things that I need to work on. And I know the steps that I need to take to work on those like competently, but then when I get there, that's when I'll make the decision about the next thing, right? Like it's not a huge master plan, but there is like a little bit of planning involved. You know what it is? It's like a, because I love that you say it's about like play. I'm looking at the Amazon page too, and it's just like, essentially, it's all about playing games. It's the difference totally. between like an obstacle course and a playground. An obstacle course is like, like American Ninja Warrior. You got to go through the entire course, beginning to end. And if you fail at a part, you got to keep doing that part forever and ever and ever and ever and ever until you get it right. And only then can you move to the next part, you know? Like, if we're trying to grow the Indie Hackers Forum and we need it to be, you know, 10,000 posts a day or something, we just fail at that forever until we get it before we can go to the next step. And I hate that shit. It's, like, very draining. Versus a playground, you show up and there's, like, a million games you can play. And you just, like, you get on the swing set if you want to swing. You get on the monkey bars if you want to do the monkey bars. You get on the slide if you want to slide. There is no gatekeeper. There is no getting stuck doing something that you don't like. Like, if Mark just wants to, like, make a YouTube video where he's talking to Joe Rogan, like he can just do that. And it doesn't matter. Like he's not held back from doing that because of something else. So I like that style of work. I think that's kind of like my ideal, my dream. And quite frankly, there's nothing stopping me from just doing that right now. Like I could just switch to that style. It's kind of outside looking in, but that almost feels like, I mean, again, Mark, like when I look at you, I just go like, looks like this guy's having a blast. It looks like he's running his projects almost exactly the way that we just described. You know, you say, oh, I had a, project that was, uh, you know, making money, but it was sort of business to business. I w you know, I wasn't having a lot of fun. So I scrapped it. I sold it. Like, how do you, how does your work style fit into the way that we're talking about this? Yeah, I'm with it with this is like having fun is the number one thing. Sometimes I know I have to do things that are not really uh, fun. Like now I'm adding push notifications to the app and it's not really fun, but I know I have to push through to have more fun later. But if 
these not funny tasks all go over for too long, then I just move on. You're in a spot that like most indie hackers really want to be at, right? Like the vast majority of indie hackers have not gotten started or they don't have an idea or they're struggling to like make their first dollar or, you know, they've got like, you know, 10 or 20 bucks coming in a month, but they haven't gotten the ROM profitability. You're ramen profitable. You've done it. You have a giant array of products. You can work on whatever you want every day. Um, What's your advice for other people? He also told me he has a personal chef. Throw that in there as well. (laughs) You've got a (laughs) personal... What's that about? you got a personal chef. That sounds beyond ramen profitable. It is. Actually, I got the the chef since, you know, at zero, mostly at zero MR, I already got a chef. It's the best productivity hack I've found. So I don't do groceries. I don't do meal plans. I eat super healthy food. It's like vegetables and and raw meat. It's just so good for, for health and productivity. And it's about, in Bali, it costs about $200 a month, excluding the groceries. So in total, wow. for $400 a month, I have five meals, five days a week of lunch and dinner prepared. And yeah, I'm not going back. It's too good. My big thing used to be that like my dream was to have a personal chef because I love eating. Like I, I count down like the number of meals I have to eat left. Like I eat twice a day, 365 <laughs> days a year. I'm going to live for another like 50 years. Like I got like 36,000 meals left. They better, every one of those meals better be good. <laughs> That's kind of how I look at it because it's <laughs> one of my favorite things. Uh, so I always thought it'd be dope. Like, just like I know I've made it if I've got a personal chef, but it's expensive, man. It's super expensive. So what I'm getting from you is I got to move to Bali. Move to Bali. <laughs> you get one for 200 bucks a month and, and be set. Yeah, that's that's a good part of living, I think, in Southeast Asia. It doesn't cost much to get a cleaner, to get a, a chef, to get a driver. And um, I try to tweet about this. And some of them go viral because some people in the West realize that life could be different somewhere else. <laughs> Yo, Mark, uh, 12 months, you become a sensation. Um, you are in a lot of ways still starting out. You just got to Ramen Profitability, huge milestone. And of all the things you've, you've figured out in the last like 12, 13 months, what's one piece of advice that you would leave for people that are listening? Don't spend too much time on one product and build and ship and kill fast. That's it. Short and sweet. All right, dude. Thanks a ton for coming on.